You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional. Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. The chair recognizes the gentleman at microphone 1A. Thank you. Uh, my name is Jason Selvig, and I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida. And I would like to say that I am sick and tired of the left-wing media, and frankly, people in this room today, spreading misinformation about Wayne LaPierre. Whenever there's a mass shooting, they all say that Wayne LaPierre isn't doing enough to stop these mass shootings and even implying that Wayne LaPierre has played a part in making it easier for these shooters to, to get guns, to get weapons. You, you heard it after Las Vegas. You heard it after Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Yep. Yep. You heard it after Columbine. You, you, you heard it after Parkland. You heard it after Virginia Tech. You heard it after Sandy Hook. Mm. You heard it after El Paso. You heard it after Buffalo. You kept hearing that Wayne LaPierre isn't doing enough. And frankly, <laughs> that's not true. Well, the NRA under Wayne LaPierre's leadership has provided thoughts and prayers oh. to the victims and their families. Yep. <laughs> and, and maybe these mass shootings would stop happening if, if we all thought a little bit more and we prayed a little bit more. So I'm asking everyone in this room to think. Yes. To pray. Oh, yeah. Give your thoughts and your prayers. And your thoughts. And your thoughts. And your prayers. And your prayers. And your thoughts. And your, and your prayers, prayers. And your thoughts. Yeah. And if we give enough of these thoughts and these prayers, these mass shootings will stop. Of course they so will. So I, I want to thank you, <laughs> Wayne LaPierre, for all your thoughts. <laughs> and all your and prayers. And all your prayers. Mm. 
Thank you. Uh, that, that, that is the good liars. That's what they are known for. They are a, a team, two guys who do um, kamikaze uh, activism like that. I think they learned, they must have learned from the yes men of years past and just brilliant. And I love in that video, I mean, those of you who were only hearing it, I hope you got the ironic humor there. But if you were watching it, they, the camera kept cutting to Wayne LaPierre's. Wayne LaPierre, um, who looked as disturbed as, well, he is, but <laughs> oh, it was just, it was just classic. But the, my favorite part was the old people sitting around the guy in the very sparsely attended. This was at an NRA convention, by the way. And then when he finished, they were like, yeah, more thoughts and prayers. Oh, get a clue, people. Get a clue. They are just so, so just out of it. And before I leave that, we've got a lot of territory to cover today. So I just have to get this out when we're still on the subject of guns and shootings and all that. So yesterday I played for you the audio from this congressman from Tennessee, Tim Burchett, who, who said this. Three precious little kids lost their lives. And I believe three adults, I believe it's, and, um, and the shooter, of course, lost their life, too. So it's, it's a horrible, horrible situation. And we're not going to fix it. Criminals are going to be criminals. And my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese. And he told me, he said, buddy, he said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it. And, and there was a collective, what the fuck, from people like us, you know, people who have uh, critical thought processes. Going, really? And this guy, rightly so, has been excoriated on television and writing everywhere for the last 24 hours or so. So what do his colleagues do? They double down, as you'd expect. First, you know, and I figure, well, he's just in the House. He's just delusional. Well, let's go to the Senate. The number two Republican in the Senate, right behind Turtle Mitch, is John Thune. He's the House Minority Whip. I, I mean, the Senate Minority Whip. Second behind McConnell. And that's, I would guess that's not a fun place to be. Anyway, so he was asked about, is now the time to do something? And what do you think he said? Oops. Hold on. I hear <laughs> Whoops, here we go. I think with respect to any um, le discussion of legislation, it it's premature. Uh, there's an <laughs> ongoing investigation, and I think we need to let the facts come out. It's so premature. Again, I mean, I think we're going to, we'll, when we get the, the facts in from this uh, current investigation, um, we'll, uh, we'll have a better assessment of that. But I think right now it's just premature to talk it's about it. How is it premature? Sorry. Hurting families in Nashville. Yes, yeah. we do have a lot of grieving, hurting families in Nashville. And you people, you Republicans, are doing nothing to help. To say it's, I was going to say premature, but premature? Sorry, premature. Uh, John Thune? Really? <laughs> it's only been, uh, we are 88 days now into the year, and we've had more than 130 mass shootings. When is it not premature? When is it time? So Tim Burchett, Burchett says, well, we have no congressional fix for that. You know, just people got to get armed, I guess. 
But he wasn't alone there. So John Thune said it's not time. It's premature. And uh, Tim Burchett said, we, we can't we can't fix this. <laughs> we broke it, but we can't fix it. Well, let's go to the Senate again. Mike Rounds, granted, not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I think he's from South Dakota. I'm sure there are a few good people in South Dakota. Nobody that I know, but I'm sure there are a few. And Senator Mike Rounds apparently drinks from the same Kool-Aid jug that uh, Representative Tim Burchett does because he says nothing we can do about it. After the shooting in Nashville, President Biden called on Congress to pass an assault weapons ban again. Do you think that there should be action here in the wake of that shooting? I, look, I, I put myself in a position where I look at those those families and, and I see these things and I look at my Answer colleagues up question. here and there isn't anybody here that if they could find the right approach wouldn't try to do something because they feel that pain. Oh, And yet when we pain. start talking about bans or challenging on the Second Amendment, I think the things that have already been done have gone about as far as we're going to with gun control. What? I do think there are some things that can be done. And let me just give you one example. It's one that we already started working on. We've already introduced legislation. What? We've got uh, about $500 million that we think over a five-year period of time that's <laughs> already been allocated. Wait, wait, I, wait, wait. $500 million over a five-year period of time. Now, to you and me, that's a lot of money. But when you're talking about this massive problem and the number one killer of children in America now is guns. So they want to alloc- they want to take five hundred million dollars that's already been allocated to what senator? Where do you want to pull those funds from? I- I'm going to back it up just a second or two because you got to hear this. I just had to pause it and alert you to listen Time. to this. That's already been allocated for putting in solar panels at schools. <laughs> Could we reallocate that back? Because. We don't have to save the planet for these kids. They'll all be dead from gunshot wounds. Take $500 million that's already been allocated for solar panels on schools around the country and use that to strengthen the schools so a gunman can't get in. That's this guy's response. Oh, keep going, Mike. This is too good. Your period of time, provide grants back to the states and allow them to go back in and help individual school districts to actually protect those those schools. Well, why don't you go further, Mike? How about we give each kid a childproof or a bulletproof vest? Oh, or, or we can even better. We can get them those bulletproof backpacks. Oh, but then it would only protect their back. Are you fucking kidding me? Take money that's been allocated for solar panels on the roofs of schools. Because, you know, who needs to deal with the climate? We'll be dead soon. And fuck those little kids. After all, we don't protect them from gun people with guns coming in and slaughtering them in their classrooms. Is it time to welcome you to Opposite World again? I think it is. Everything you thought you knew, you never knew at all. Sideways is straight ahead. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Opposite World. Oh, my God. Okay, we have so much to get to today. Let me just tell you who are. We're we're done with guns for now. 
uh, until the next shooting, you know. Um, uh, coming up a little while, we're going to hear from Kevin Gastola. He is a journalist. He has been covering Julian Assange and WikiLeaks since the collateral murder release, and he's got a new book out. Um, so we're going to talk about all that in the second half hour. But I got a lot to jam into this first half hour. So we're done with guns. Let me take a little uh, time out before we get to Bernie Sanders and Starbucks uh, union busting practices to just say, apparently the former guy went on Sean Hannity's show on Fox last night. Last night, I guess it was last night. I, I didn't watch, but I'm seeing coverage of it. And Trump, the doddering old fool, apparently doesn't know the difference between NATO the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. No, I'm not going to play the audio or video for you. I'm just going to read to you from Ross Story. And they write, During a recent appearance on Fox, the not news channel, Trump spoke with conservative host Sean Insanity, where he claimed he, quote, got rid of NATO. What? Uh, The former president began his rant by insisting that other countries feared him and knew, quote, not to mess around in regard to trade alliances, saying, did they fear me? I suspect they did. He went on to share details about a previous discussion he'd had with Russian president, if you can call him that, Vladimir Putin, as he weighed in on the Nord Stream pipeline. According to Trump, quote, Putin said, man, you're killing me, especially about Nord Stream. And it stopped. I stopped it. It was stopped cold. And I told other countries, if you go into the Nord Stream, you are not going to do any business with the United States of America, meaning rip us off on trade, because a lot of them have ripped us off. I made a lot of great deals on trade, though. I changed a lot of those deals where it was a bad deal for us and now it's good, like USMCA with NATO. He said NATO. I got rid of NATO. This is a direct quote. I got rid of NATO and built USMCA at the USMCA. Sorry. Uh, I made a great deal with China. Our farmers to this day, they made tremendous money because of this deal, which is uh, bullshit. But that's besides the point. That's the end of the quote. Uh, Ross Story writes, it's unclear whether or not Hannity Hannity caught the former president's blunder, but he didn't challenge his remarks. So he doesn't know the difference between NATO and NAFTA. But at one reading from the article, at one point during the discussion, Trump shifted his attention to President Joe Biden and took jabs at the president's cognitive functions. Hannity asked Trump if he would consider another round of cognitive testing. And Trump said, I would like to see for anybody running for president taking a cognitive test. You know, they do it in China, but it's done in a different way. They have a caste system and the smartest person gets to the top. You know, again, again, that's just it's just bullshit. It's bullshit. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. But since they brought up the cognitive test. I have a little bone to pick here. And if you remember clearly I, I'm, I'm calling bullshit. Go figure. Trump lied about something else. But this is something that everybody gave him a pass on. So here's the original. I guess it was an interview of, of some sort um, when uh, he went on whatever show he went on on Fox and was bragging about, you know, this cognitive test that he took. 
But I'm telling you, he lied about the whole thing. And how do I know? Common sense. Here, as I get the shot set up. All right, listen to this and, and watch for those of you who are, who are watching. Um, here's the clip. It goes like Like this. a memory question. It's uh, like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay. 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, yeah. say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question. Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay. Here's where, here's where the lie comes in. He, the setup was he was shown a series of cards and he had to identify what was pictured on each of these cards. And then they tested him later to see if he could recall it. And he said, person, woman, man, camera, TV. Really? What did he show? What, what was he shown? What was the first card that evoked the response person? And then the next one was woman. And then the next one was man. I'm telling you, he's again lying because this idiot lies about every fucking thing. There is no distinction. If you showed three cards of human beings, you might say woman, man, but you wouldn't say person, woman, man. How do you draw the distinction between the person and the woman or the person and the man? I'm just saying It's bullshit. Again, the media fell for his bullshit. We need to call out the bullshit. Boom. And you know who's good at calling out the bullshit? Bernie Sanders. Here's, you know, this is my segue. So today, well, there are a number of hearings today, but the one that I uh, actually watched some of was um, uh, on C-SPAN. And it was the HELP Committee, which is the Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee that Bernie Sanders now chairs. So Bernie um, is is chairing this committee. I got to play this one clip for you. Not when he was questioning Howard Schultz, although we'll get there because that was just just lovely. But um, he had a little thing with. Oh, now I can't find it. Damn it! Where? Sh- oh, okay. Is this it? I don't think this is it. This is with Starbucks guy. Um, well, shoot. I, I thought I had it here. Uh, and that's not it, too. Damn it. I had a... Um, let me see if I can pull it up on this uh, on the Recounts website, because I think that's where I pulled it from. I thought I pulled the, the, uh, uh, the video here. But it, it's okay. Bear with me, because I'll find it. Because, you know, my producer, I guess, was sort of off her game today. It happens once in a while. So um, here it is. So Bernie Sanders did get it, get into it with, uh, you know, Howard Schultz. Um, but he also got into it with one of the uh, Republicans on his committee. Again, Bernie is the chair of said committee. And this guy's name is Mark Wayne Mullins. Of course, he's from... Oklahoma, where the yeah, where the people are grown really stupidly. Okay, so uh, just have a listen to this little clip. Respond. The senator did mention my name. I think. 
Okay, so uh, let me back it up a second. So Bernie comes in. He's like, okay, so the senator, Mark Wayne Mullen, mentioned his name in a disparaging kind of way. Thank you. Well, let me respond. The senator did mention my name, I think. I think. And I think you got an all-time record here. You've made more misstatements in a shorter period of time than I have ever heard. Hmm. Please correct well, me. Well, if I'm worth $8 million, dollars, excuse me. It's all public. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, Ooh. go ahead. All right. Go excuse ahead. Me. Yes, sir. If I'm worth $8 million, that's good news to me. I'm not aware of it. That's a lie. All right. Number two. Part of public records. That's, you're probably looking at some phony right-wing internet stuff. It ain't true. No. All right, you should read beyond that. It is not. You should true. read beyond it's that. Right? Public records. It, no, oh, it is God. not public record. Okay. <laughs> it is not million on your public book. record. Oh my God! You right? it is, on your book. Excuse me. I've got the mic now. Oh Number two. I have the mic now. I've got it. Did you, you not make that statement? You have. Do you remember when they said that the Senate was the chamber of comedy, not comedy, but comedy with a T, where you know of of of. Uh, courtesy and 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 um camaraderie and the the most deliberative body in the world yeah right have you met today's republican party sorry had your time okay all right you're not telling the truth second of all you got no evidence that i have ever said that all ceos are corrupt i have never yeah. ever said that probably not Further, all, but every time probably you talk about not CEOs, you, you shouldn't say that say it Oh, my God. Furthermore, what this hearing is about yeah. is whether or not you talk about being pro-union. Really? Really? What this hearing is about is whether workers have the constitutional right to form a union. The evidence is overwhelming, not from me, but from the National Labor Relations Board, is that time after time after time, despite what Mr. Schultz is saying, Starbucks has broken the law and has prevented workers from joining unions to collectively bargain for decent wages and benefits. Uh, Bernie, Bernie, you know, you still got my vote, Bernie. Uh, I'm not going to play the video from this. I just, we need a little comic relief in here. So Rand Paul is on the committee and he got to speak up. And of course, what does Rand Paul do? He invokes Ayn Rand? Ayn Rand's Howard Rorick points out the ingratitude <laughs> that man has for the entrepreneur, oh my the creator. God. Thousands of years ago, the first man discovered how to make fire. He was probably burnt at the stake he taught the others to light. <laughs> but he left them a gift that had not been conceived, and he lifted darkness from the face of the earth. Oh, please. Okay. Now, Starbucks Sorry. Exactly- you know what? Enough of that. Um, let me share with you what I threatened to share with you before, which is... A little bit, just a little bit of Bernie's questioning of Howard Schultz, the once Democratic candidate for president. Did he ever officially jump in? I, 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 I don't recall. I think we stopped him from running, didn't we? Anyway, um, uh, and now the once again head honcho at Starbucks, if this will allow me to play it, because it's, again, I should try to bring it up here because my computer is not cooperating. Let's see if I can't find um, this on this computer. Uh, Stop. Server execution failed. Well, that's not good. Um, I know I've got it here. Just bear with me one second. Uh, Come on, Bernie, Bernie. Do we have him? All right, Bernie. All right, here's a little bit of Bernie Sanders. Um, Hold on. Questioning 
Howard Schultz, because we can. Let me bring it up for you from here. Stop. Okay, from here. Take it away, Bernie. Coerced or intimidated a worker. Ah, start over. Ever so- threatened, coerced, or intimidated a worker for supporting a union. I've had conversations that could have been interpreted in a different way than ah, I intended. Could have been. That's up to the I person see. who received the information that I spoke to him about. Were you informed of or involved in the decision to withhold benefits from Starbucks workers in unionized stores, including higher pay and faster sick time accrual? My understanding, when we created the benefits in May, one month after I returned as CEO, my understanding was under the law, we did not have the unilateral right to provide those benefits to employees who were interested in joining a union. Am I hearing you say that you were involved in the decision to hold benefits Uh-oh. from Starbucks workers in unionized stores? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. It was my understanding that's what that we he said. could not provide those benefits oh. under the law. Let me tell you why that's a big deal. Because Howard Schultz, earlier or later, wherever in this hearing, said he was not involved at all in any discussions about unions. It was all operational. He had no input into union busting or union forming or... Uh, I, I wish I had one of my la-la-la-la-yeah kind of uh, sounds up, but I don't. But you get the idea. Bernie. Still in fine form. He'll take your cognitive test, Donald. Ugh. All right. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, for a moment, tell you that, you know what? You don't have to go to Starbucks and pay those exorbitant prices for their coffee drinks. I usually make a coffee drink in the afternoon. Today, though, I have another blueberry strawberry smoothie. Um, Oh, I got to unplug it before I can uh, run the blender again. So running the blender just because I like to crunch up the ice a little more. But this is my new blend jet, too. You can see all the pieces of the blueberries swirling around in the little blender. Perfect size. Fits right in the cub holder in your car. You can take it with you to the beach, to work, and have your fresh smoothie. A lot more cost-effective to make it yourself than to go get a Frappuccino from Starbucks, for sure. Or... A smoothie from any of those smoothie places. Um, And we have a special deal for you because the BlendJet people are back. So if you go to BlendJet.com and use the promo code FEEDME12, FEEDME12, you'll get 12% off your entire order and free two-day shipping. And uh, they've got all kinds of different styles to choose from. They make wonderful gifts. And you know Mother's Day is coming up. It's that time of year again. So just think, I know it's still like, it's still like over a month away, but it's coming. And then Father's Day comes in June. So they make wonderful gifts is the point I'm getting at. Have yours and enjoy free, uh, you know, easy and, and must much less expensive smoothies than you buy at a place like Starbucks. Blendjet.com and the promo section, just put in the code feedme12 and you'll get a 12% discount and free two-day shipping and enjoy because uh, I'm going to drink mine in a moment. So we have a guest joining us in just a couple of minutes. I told you, um, Kevin Gastola, and he's been covering WikiLeaks 
and Julian Assange, actually since really since the beginning. Um, uh, wait, Larry, Larry's asking, Nicole, does that blender pulverize ice or just break it up a bit? It pulverizes it. Let me tell you something. What, what, what I've learned through trial and error is you're better to put the ice in and let it sit for a couple of minutes. Sort of let it soften up a bit because I like to put in frozen fruit and ice and put them all in together. And sometimes they'll get caught on the, um, the, the rotor, you know, the, the, the blade. I shake it up and I sit it for a minute to let it, to let it, um, to let the, the frozen stuff soften a tiny bit, but it will, it, it crushes the ice. It, it gives you the perfect consistency. Okay. Now back to, um, Julian Assange and, um, Kevin Gostola. I'll tell you more tomorrow about the smoothies. Um, so I remember, and yes, I was on the air back then. I think it was 2007 when the original um, uh, collateral murder video was released. I had heard of WikiLeaks before then, but didn't really know much about them. And then this video hit the Internet. Now, I'm not going to play the whole thing. What I am going to play for you is about a two-minute clip from... Al Jazeera English talking about this video and the fallout around it. And I figured this is the best way to set up for um, uh, for our guest who, by the time the video ends, will be here or will be here shortly thereafter, I hope. Um, so let's go to the videotape. This should bring back a lot of memories. So this, the video was leaked, I believe, 2007? It might have been 2009. I think it was 2007. Uh, this is this. Well, this from Al Jazeera tells you the story. For more than two and a half years, the wire service Reuters has been trying to find out what happened to their two staff members on this street in the suburb of New Baghdad. WikiLeaks says this is what happened. Yep, he's got a weapon too. Hotel 26, Crazy Horse 18, have five to six individuals with AK-47s. We got RPG. The voice on the tape, presumably a member of the military, says there has been shooting in the area and receives permission to open fire. When people are labeled as insurgents, um, are they really insurgents? It, it seems to be the case that uh, from, we, from the scenes in this video, that any person that is not a man uh, and sometimes not a woman uh, is by default labeled as an insurgent. Light them all up. Come on, fire! Hey, Roger. Keep shooting. God damn it, Kyle. All right. <laughs> I hit him. Oh, yeah, look at those dead bastards. Ugh, horrible. Nice. Two, six, crazy. From a distance, you hear the voices on the tape watch as the wounded try to crawl to help, but when help arrives... Come on, let us shoot. You're engaged. video I think you see the corruption of pilots and the military by war itself in particular by modern nature of aerial warfare so you see these young pilots acting like they're playing video games only the high scores they are getting are with real human lives I just drove over a body <laughs> yeah. 
Even from high above, the harsh reality becomes evident as the troops that arrive find two children wounded. You see them carry their small bodies and call for help. Hey, uh, I need to get the, rat, the brass to drop ramps. I got a wounded girl. We need to take the rest of mine. The response on the tape. Oh, it's their fault for bringing their kids to a battle. Oh, my God. Patty Colhane, Al Jazeera, Washington. It's their fault for bringing their kids into the battle. That's what you heard. One of the soldiers who was manning the guns like they were playing a video game on that video that was released by Chelsea Manning, then Bradley Manning, with the help of WikiLeaks. And um, I remember so clearly when that came out, I, I agonized over whether or not to watch it and realized that I have to. If I'm going to talk about it, I have to. And it hurt to watch. And it was more than just that two-minute video. I watched the whole thing. It was devastating. What we learned is they were civilians, those people. There were kids in that van, and these so-called soldiers were laughing. That, that's what you get for bringing kids to a fight. They weren't bringing kids to a fight. They were, I think the father was picking them up from school. There were Reuters reporters in that group who were murdered in that video that we've come to know as collateral murder. That's what it's called. And joining us now, Kevin Gastola. He is a journalist who's been covering the story since then. And his book is, I guess, newly re-released. It's called Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange. Kevin, uh, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Yeah, and actually, it's a fresh book. Oh, it's is it? It's not re-released. Ah. It's um, it's the first. It's my first book, um, and it collects a lot of reporting that I've done over the last ten years. So, thank you for having me on the show. Gotcha. Well, thank you for joining us. And I, I've followed you. I, I don't think we've ever spoken before, and that's on me because we should have. Um, I went back through my archives and found uh, a lot of shows from 2013 when. Uh, then, Brad, I guess we'll just call her Chelsea Manning because that's... Yeah, let's, how, let's, let's be progressive. Right. So Chelsea Manning was on trial. It was her court-martial. You were there for the whole thing, weren't you? Yeah. Um, and in fact, um, I earned a distinction. Uh, there was a reporter who's with PBS who did a story on how it was falling to a handful of independent journalists to do all of this work because many of the outlets that you would think would have funds to have reporters there every day. We're not sending reporters. Right. No. And in fact, you covered it. And back then, you know, Brad Friedman is a dear friend of mine, and he would come on and talk about the case. And I had um, uh, Greg Mitchell, who at the time I think was writing for The Nation, um, and you were you did some work with him. He had been on. I, just, I don't know why I never had you on the show, but I'm, I'm glad we're making up for that now. So, um so here we are. It's 10 years since the court martial. Thank goodness Chelsea Manning is out. That was was that Obama's doing? It was uh, his decision to commute Chelsea Manning's sentence. It was the last one of the last acts that he engaged in before the end of his presidency. And uh, it, he recognized that it, at the very least, he should show mercy to Chelsea because she was attempting to suicide while she was in a military prison. Uh, she was going through horrible predicaments dealing with uh, being a transgender woman in a U.S. military prison. She had sought hormone therapy. A lot of what we're seeing now, you know, there's a whole effort by the right wing to 
make it impossible for people to get gender affirming care. That's something she was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Unprecedented challenge to the way the the Pentagon held people in their custody. And yeah, so Barack Obama recognized that it was important to show mercy to Chelsea Manning. Right. And he and he did. And thankfully, um, she's keeping a fairly low profile. I don't hear from her very often. Every now and then she'll pop up with a comment, but she's seems to be living her life. But she's still in the story because the, the story of Julian Assange has not yet ended. In fact, it's dragged on forever. And he spent, what, a decade in the in the in the Swiss consulate in London. Is that where he was? In the Ecuadorian, Ecuadorian. I knew it was something, in, in, something in like London. And uh, what entered in 2012 uh, on the advice of a very esteemed human rights attorney named Michael Ratner, who was a mentor for Julian Assange, who's no longer with us, right. but had advised him that, okay, we're not going to say that these claims of sexual improprieties are to be ignored entirely, um, we'll cooperate, but send somebody to Ecuador from Sweden to question Julian Assange, because we don't trust you. We do not want you, we don't want to send Julian or allow Julian to be extradited to Sweden, because then we believe you'll hand Julian over to the United States to be prosecuted for the very thing he's being prosecuted for now, for publishing U.S. documents about wars, about Guantanamo prisoners, about that footage that you just showed from the clip there uh, and about the many we had over 250,000 cables eventually from the U.S. State Department that exposed all kinds of different stories that are that have added to our knowledge of U.S. foreign policy and our actions around the world and so that was the advice and he was there he was living and couldn't go anywhere because he was in fear for his you know, future. He stayed in the Ecuador embassy until Mike Pompeo finally succeeded through a pressure campaign in which he takes credit for first as a CIA director and then as the secretary of state under President Donald Trump. He writes about this in his book, just it's only two pages, but in his book, which by the way, he had to buy up himself. He had to have um, a lawyer or someone in his circle purchase thousands upon thousands of copies to get it up into the New York Times bestseller list. Anyways, um, and this is the book that's supposed to help him make the case that he could be a good candidate for president in 2024. Right. Uh, So I don't know about his popularity. I don't think he has much. But he he, he was aggressively pressuring Ecuador to force Julian Assange out of the embassy so that the United States could get his hand, their, their hands on Julian Assange. Well, the thing about them buying up all the books, the the Republicans do that with all their people, because as as heinous as they are as a whole, they actually support the people who carry their water, unlike on the left, where the the moneyed interests don't really support the the journalism that um, 
progressives do, but that's a story for another day. But well, they yeah, do. I don't have anybody who's just buying up my books so I can go to a second printing and, and, and keep going on this gravy train, which there exactly. isn't much one. Right, and right. You're just making the point there. They do that. How do you think, um, who's, uh, Rick, uh, what's his name? DeSantis, the idiot. I live in Florida. <laughs> Sorry. I'm uh, Ron DeSantis. But, uh, moron death sentence, as I call him, or Rhonda <laughs> Santis, as the case may be. But uh, I digress. Anyway, they do buy up books and they hand them out as premiums so that that's how Donnie Jr. gets his book on the bestseller list. Nobody's really buying them. Anyway, um, so Kevin Gastola is here. So the book is out and it really is about the case. Is is it a case against Julian Assange or is it a a, a campaign of uh, uh, smears? And he, he, here's my thing. And, and I, I told the listeners this yesterday when I mentioned you were coming on. I am conflicted, as I'm sure many people are, about Julian Assange. Um, I believe when, you know, when I watched, and again, I'm telling you, I remember that video when it was released, and I was doing a show back then, and agonized over it, and just was sickened by what I saw. We absolutely had the right to see that. And, and I believe WikiLeaks did us a public service by releasing it, as did Chelsea Manning, who risked her future. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not here to argue with you about anything. I'm here to get the story from you. I just you know what I said yesterday and I think a lot. And maybe it's because of the way the media has portrayed him over the years. And this is the wrong way to look at it. And I'll t- I'm not a journalist. I'm a talk show host. Something about Julian Assange just creeps me out. And, and so I'm saying that. And, and, you know, it's there's no logic behind it. Just the whole the years he spent in that uh, consulate, it's just weird. So putting that aside, I want to find out from you why he's been vilified so much. Um, so you're saying, and it was under Trump, Pompeo went after him big time. But he when, when did he go into that consulate? It was long before Trump came into office, wasn't it? Yeah, so... Uh, he entered the embassy in 2012 and was there until 2019, April. We're coming up on the anniversary of when Ecuador did the bidding of the Trump administration and, and forced him out. Well, what they did is they allowed the British police to come in and drag him out of the embassy. And the image, the last image we saw of him before he was put in Belmarsh prison where he is being held right now was of this unkempt man who looked like he wasn't taking care of his hygiene while he was in the embassy. And I would like to inform your viewers and listeners that that was intentional. They took away his shaving kit so that he could no longer take care of himself because I think they knew that it was going to look like he was just, you know, not taking care of himself and would feed the kind of character assassination that had been ongoing. That, that helped press that yeah. helped percolate that image that I have him of him yeah. probably as well to make him look like a freak. Right. Um, and then they started to say things like the, um, this came from the Ecuador president of like, Oh, he's smearing feces on the wall inside. There's no evidence that anything like that happened. I, I, I looked into that allegation. I don't know what, um, they were talking about other than to throw that out there, to literally fling poop out there into the conversation was, in effect, to 
take the focus off of what Ecuador was doing, which I think it made a mockery of the human rights protection that they were claiming to have extended to Julian Assange because their president, Rafael Correa, had uh, seen a reason to protect an individual in the way that we've seen reasons in the past to protect individuals from China who Mm -hmm. were dissidents or people from Russia who were dissidents. They were seeing a reason why they should stand up against the United States in this particular instance. And then when they changed administrations, they had a more center-right leader in Moreno was the name of this person and uh, who was leading Ecuador now and having defeated Corey, uh, Rafael Correa's uh, political administration, um, they decided that they were going to go a different route. And so then that's why he eventually was expelled. So to suit their politics, here we go. We're going to not only that, we find out that they've got a spying uh, operation that's unfolding in their embassy. They have a security company they've hired called UC Global that's going to conduct around-the-clock surveillance of all the family, all the attorneys that Julian Assange is speaking with, every visitor who's coming in and out. And it goes beyond just basic diplomatic security. Um, they're copying the contents or at least the outsides of all the electronics that they're being given. Cause they're saying anybody who visits, you're going to give me your bags, giving your, uh, it's a lot like prison. They were basic, but they would say, give me all of your property. And then it would be there. And then they'd copy the passports. They were making files on all the people who were visiting the embassy And, uh, you know, there's right now there's a lawsuit that uh, four Americans here, two attorneys, two journalists are trying to pursue in the Southern District of New York against Pompeo and the CIA to say that their privacy rights were violated, that their attorney client privileged information was compromised and that, you know, the right to protect confidential sources was compromised because they were collecting and surveilling these journalists that visited Julian Assange for interviews. You know, we shouldn't assume that all of the people who visited were friends of Julian Assange. Some of them were there in a professional capacity to do their jobs. Doctors were there to treat him because he was confined there for seven years and his health was deteriorating and he couldn't leave to go to a doctor or go to the dentist. And they were trying to do their best that they could to try and consult with him and see what he was going through. And so the reason, just for those who weren't paying attention, he went there because uh, Sweden was threatening to extradite him on on rape charges. Whatever happened with those charges? Well, so no, as far as I understand, no charges were ever actually filed. But Mm. what they did was they suspected him based on the claims of the women. And those... Those two women deserve to have their day in court, but what ended up happening is geopolitics got in the way of him ever, um, of the Swedish prosecutors ever getting to the point where they could actually uh, settle whether something in fact did happen. Uh, So it'll always be an open question. What happened between Julian and those two women because of how this case was mishandled? There were due process violations for the defendant, Julian Assange, or the accused, Julian Assange. And I think there were due process violations when it came to the people who were accusing him of sexual improprieties. But, um, you know, what's most important is there could have been a resolution. They could have come to the Ecuador embassy and questioned him. And then when they had the evidence that they needed, if they could charge him, 
then they could keep on pursuing the extradition and say, you know, you really have to come here. We think we can prove that you committed sexual assault. And uh, they would not do it. And in fact, the Crown Prosecution Service, which is the one that is behind, uh, well, on behalf of the U.S. government, they pursue the extradition in the U.K. courts. And when the U.K. courts authorize it, which they have, um, then the Crown Prosecution Service is involved in managing that. And they actually advised the Swedish prosecutor not to come to the Ecuador embassy to question Julian Assange because they knew that like that might make the case go away. I mean, if they talked to him and they found out that nothing really had happened or that they don't have evidence to charge Julian Assange, then it's going to go away. And that was the thing that they had hanging over Julian Assange to keep him in place, to keep him in the Ecuador embassy. Seven years, was, though. He was there for seven years. That is, that's insane. That's crazy. It is. It is. But he, you have to understand, didn't want to go to the United States and be put on trial. He didn't want to face, he didn't want to face that future where, which he's staring down right now, where he could be prosecuted under the Espionage Act in a trial in the United States, which is very significant development. I mean, he could be put on trial and also he's accused of, um, uh, I think, a fabricated and made up charge of conspiracy to commit a computer intrusion that the media lazily treats like a hacking charge because mm-hmm. they don't understand the details. They're not there. They're not following this as closely as they should. And they don't fully recognize what the uh, U.S. Justice Department is trying to get away with or what the Trump Justice Department tried to get away with. Let's just say very definitively here right now that Trump that, that under Trump, Mike Pompeo had a speech where he said that he wasn't going to let the First Amendment hold him back that he was going to go forward and pursue these charges. Barack Obama's administration was open about the New York Times problem that they were having, which essentially went like this. If they were to charge Julian Assange, wouldn't they be obligated to charge some of the editors or the reporters here in the United States who had published that material? Mm -hmm. Because wouldn't they be guilty of the same offenses that they were going to charge Julian Assange? So they had to find something else, and they never found something else to charge Julian Assange with. And they they punted. They decided not to charge Julian Assange when Barack Obama was president. And then these people came in with Trump. I think in particular I would put the focus on Attorney General Jeff Sessions okay. when he was there. Um, and I don't know how much people know about Jeff Sessions' time as a senator, but when he was in that position – he had this visceral hatred for leaks and particularly leaks of national security information. And he would, I always thought he sounded like a wingnut when he spoke <laughs> yeah, during well. the committee hearings and I didn't take him seriously, but he used to always talk and he talked about it like he was fighting a culture war issue. It was always um, like very bizarre to me that he took it as serious, you know, like how you got, like how people decades ago some still kind of act, have this attitude, but would talk about like, oh, we got to stop the, the 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 flow of marijuana, or we have to stop kids from listening to heavy metal music, or whatever. Like that's the way he talked about national security leaks. Right. And so when he was attorney general, he very much wanted to charge Julian Assange, and he also wanted to crack down on um, leakers, sources, which, sorry, leakers are media sources, just so people can understand. Leakers are people in government who are talking to journalists about what is happening 
There were hundreds, if not thousands of them during the Trump administration. That's how we had any inkling of what kind of scandals were happening with Trump. Yep. Um, What's the difference between a leaker and a whistleblower? So it's subjective, but what I would say is largely a whistleblower would be, so I don't know that leakers are necessarily, uh, it's a bad thing all the time. What it means is you are releasing information without authorization. Nobody, in my view, when you're leaking, nobody has told you (laughs) that you can go talk to a reporter about that program or whatever you're describing. And a whistleblower is someone who is exposing fraud, waste, abuse, or illegality. And typically, when we talk about whistleblowers or when those in our government talk about whistleblowers, they usually mean those individuals who use proper channels. And that's a whole complicated conversation for probably another show. But just very quickly, what I'll say is that those proper channels are often a trap because what you're doing is you're outing yourself to your superiors and the very people who can cover up what scandalous conduct is being, you know, engaged in by them. You know, they now know you. They um, and and, 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 in one case, uh, there's an NSA whistleblowers case where they had gone to the inspector general to tell them about a scandal that was happening under, at the time, NSA director Michael Hayden. And uh, it turns out that the inspector general gave their names to the Justice Department for investigation. So it can be a trap. Yes. Right. Well, and there are traps and you don't know who to trust. But so here's where. So Julian Assange was in this embassy, the Ecuadorian embassy for seven years. He's finally out. Now, the reason he was there, he's afraid of being extradited to the U.S. and tried under the Espionage Act, which could be really serious. Um, So where is he now? Yeah, so he's in the Belmarsh prison. Uh, it's a high security facility that is supposed to be for people who are accused of terrorism offenses, national security violations, uh, people who are guilty of primarily violent crimes. Um, it's not really a pretrial facility. A lot of those people in there are convicted. Wow. And yet he's there on administrative detention for publishing classified information about the United States, publishing information about the wars, publishing information about, uh, you know, maybe might have some relation to some of the things that are uh, some of the people who are in there. You know, they were, I think there's people from Al Qaeda or jihadi wow. groups that yeah. are in this facility. So, you know, look, for this book, what I really wanted to do was lay out a guide that people could read so that they would understand the important aspects of the allegations against Julian Assange. And so I could pick apart what prosecutors are claiming about Julian Assange and to meet people in a place where I acknowledge the the conflict that they have internally about Julian Assange, but to focus on, you know, going through those different, Things that people have on their mind about Julian Assange. So I, I very deliberately organized each chapter by those issues. And after I am done unpacking the charges and the allegations, going through the way that the CIA and the FBI have played a role in this case, after 
showing the Espionage Act and its use. I get into some of the the ways that the media has helped to facilitate the prosecution or enabled the prosecution. And I get into some of those things that were said about Julian Assange during particularly um, the 2016 year during the election when he was accused of helping to uh, boost Donald Trump and cost Hillary Clinton the election. And I address those because I recognize that those are all hangups that people have that make them question whether they should support Julian Assange mm-hmm. in this moment. And so, you know, once I get through all of that, then I make the case that this is one of the biggest and most important press freedom cases of the century. You know, what they are trying to do is move the ball so that they can have an unprecedented way to control U.S. secrets and and so that they can have a way to. It's not just about punishing journalists. I mean, that's what happens. But but it, what it is, is that they don't want this to happen again. They don't want to see people publish documents to this degree right. ever again. Right. So so they want to make a, an example of him. And uh, obviously, I think, you know, the fact this has been going on for so long uh, I, and his life has been upended. No one can doubt that. I, I guess that proves the point. Um, is the Biden administration actively pursuing extradition? Yeah, they have. Really? Uh, they stepped in. They had an opportunity to abandon it. They had a chance to, when they started their administration in 2017, pick up with the logic that the Obama White House had. And I said there, they thought there was a New York Times problem, but they they sort of think that Julian Assange is a different kind of a person now, or they they view that organization differently. I, I, it was labeled a non-state hostile intelligence service by Pompeo and the CIA under Donald Trump. Uh, our Congress has taken that up and decided that that's how uh, this media, this dissident media organization, should be perceived. But we haven't seen any evidence. There's been allegations thrown around that WikiLeaks works for a foreign power like Russia, um, but they've never been able to prove that that's who's making the decisions. And I have to say, if that's really what's going on, it's not going very well because WikiLeaks doesn't have money. Right. Uh, their, their site is dysfunctional. Um, they can't get their uh, founder or former editor-in-chief out of prison. Uh, they have to put all their money that they raise into legal costs and expenses to fight this case against the U.S. government. Um, and meanwhile, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people who trust giving submissions. They don't really receive submissions of leaks anymore. It's 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 mostly um, of a bygone era. It's mostly, you know, when we talk about WikiLeaks, we're talking about publications from the past, like right. almost 10 to well, 10 years ago. And so... I, 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 there's no evidence of this, and yet they push, they push, and they push. And I'll, I'll make it clear: almost all press freedom, civil liberties, and human rights organizations around the world have spoken out against this. There are even institutions in Europe that take up human rights that have opposed the U.S. extradition, and still Biden pushes onward. I think that's a very fatal mistake because. What it does is it makes it difficult for us to claim that we care about 
World Press Freedom. And right. when world, world Press Freedom Day is coming up in the first days of May, and when that's marked and the U.S. wants to speak out against the records of China or Russia or any other countries, Azerbaijan, what have you, Saudi Arabia, you know what happens is those leaders of those countries point out that right now, because of the United States, there's a journalist, there's a publisher, someone who was engaged in journalism, who is being kept in jail because they did this work. And so how can you take the U.S. seriously right. if they're aggressively pursuing that case? Now, where where is the prison that he's being held in? It's in London. It's not in central London. It's it's in more outside of it. Okay, but actually, it's a I, British I, prison. So are they holding him on charge Britain, British charges? Are they holding him for because the U.S. might have a case against him? I mean, where why is he being held there? So he's there under the pretext that when he entered the embassy for asylum, he jumped bail. And remember, he was facing he was facing extradition. So then he was on a kind of like house arrest and he was supposed to remain in the country um, while he challenged the extradition to Sweden. And so uh, he just went to the embassy instead of allowing that process to complete. And from that point forward, the U.S. government says, oh, you're a fugitive. And they don't really respect the idea of of seeking asylum in an embassy, even though I know that we've offered asylum to other people before in our own U.S. state embassies, mm -hmm. countries throughout the world. So that's why they used it as a pretext to that's why he was able to be arrested and dragged out of the embassy in 2019 because they kept that charge on the books and we learned this from yahoo news reporting that was done by michael isikoff um and sean uh sean naylor and zach dorfman who did this really exceptional piece that i don't know if your listeners or viewers have heard of it all at all but there was this whole Oh, no. Based on oh, okay. 30s. Yeah. You, you froze for a second. You said there was this hole and then you froze. Yeah. Okay. Let me continue. So <laughs> the there were over 30 people from the Trump administration w within the White House and parts of the national security agencies who spoke anonymously to Isakoff and these other reporters about plans that were being sketched to kidnap or poison Julian Assange while he was in the embassy um, and to engage in a campaign against WikiLeaks to try and paralyze the digital infrastructure of their website to try mm -hmm. and turn people in WikiLeaks against each other um, and do all sorts of things. And, and you get incredible insights into what was happening um, with WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. And I really recommend that people go read this if, I'm, if you're just hearing about this for the first time. I spent a lot of time on it in my book and I really am stunned that it didn't get more attention. Um, this came out in September of 2021. Uh, and it really shows that there's uh, a lot of questions about how this case has been managed and, it, and, and that bringing these charges is tainted to some degree. Uh, you really have to question whether there could be a fair process if Julian Assange was put on trial. Yeah, I, I agree with you definitely on that. I, I, there's nothing fair about the way he's been treated. And keep in mind, in, with all of this, he hasn't set foot in the United States. I mean, he's not a U.S. citizen. So we're going after an Australian for something that he's alleged to have done. Uh, one last question for you, and we're in overtime. I hope you don't mind. Kinky Streets right. in the chat room asks, 
What's the difference between the charges Assange faces and what Manning was charged with and later pardoned of? That's a good question. So I did a whole chapter on this because I wanted people to recognize what was relevant since Chelsea Manning was essentially accused of the same thing that Julian Assange was accused of, except Julian Assange is on the other side. He's the receiver. Um, She's accused of disclosing the information uh, without authorization. And uh, he's accused of publishing the information. And it basically amounts to almost identical espionage act charges. I mean, in fact, they tried to go after her for aiding the enemy, accused her of treason. Um, and if that's almost if she had been convicted, you can get a life sentence for that in the military. Yeah. Um, and the idea was that they claimed that by publishing the information, she had helped Al Qaeda terrorists because they could access that information on the internet and use it to fight the United States military. So obviously, uh, that should be rejected because if you if you believe in that, then you're going to give up the world of openness that we have. You're basically mm-hmm. um, you know, you're showing a deep contempt for the internet. If you say that, I mean, we, we need info. So, so, and she didn't give the information directly to terrorists. So why should she be punished? Because people who are evil can read Get on the, the internet. internet. Right. Yeah. Right. And so anyways, just to c- conclude here, the judge rejected that and she rejected that WikiLeaks was the enemy. I mean, she never concluded that WikiLeaks was part of the enemy or working with the enemy. And so that was good. That was one of the bright spots of a very, you know, dark, dismal decision on the part of the military judge, which came with a 35-year sentence. So the answer to that question is that there's not a whole lot of difference. And I think the thing I emphasize in my book is people have to think, People have to view Julian Assange within the lens of who he was in 2010 and 2011, because that's what he's being punished for, that activity then. Um, There's not really any activity after that. He's not being punished for the Clinton campaign emails. He's not being published for CIA documents that he published in 2017. So, yeah, maybe... You didn't like him. He behaved differently. You thought he was a nefarious actor in 2016 or 2017. Uh I don't agree. But even if you do, that's not the subject of this prosecution. Right. Right. Wow. Uh, There's a lot here. You've you've Kevin Gastola, you've you've done your work on this and it's all for us to to read in the book. Guilty of journalism, the political case against Julian Assange. Do you think that that Julian Assange will wind up being brought here and put on trial? It's very possible, but I also think that there's punishment by process happening here. Um, when you when you see that the CIA has played a big role in this and they're using the legal system as a weapon in order to keep him from being able to do the work that WikiLeaks was doing, which was effective, uh, they're just happy that he's in prison right now. Um, they're getting what they want. I mean, even if he was con- if he, whether convicted or not, they've got him behind bars and he cannot lead his organization. So they right. don't need to put him on trial to be happy with what they've achieved. And so maybe he does get brought to the U.S. or maybe eventually Julian fights his appeals and they're all exhausted and he's about to be put on a plane and Joe Biden in the White House says, you know what? We don't think we need to do this anymore. He well, can go on. He, he essentially has served this long sentence. 
already. Yeah. I mean, he's been imprisoned. Um, and, you know, and this, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking reality winner, Edward yes. Snowden. Um, and we don't know what, you know, uh, reality winner. Has she been released yet? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She's, she is. And, but, but she's finishing up probation. I mean, when you get out of prison, you serve your time and then you have to live under probation. I mean, she was, she was told that she could only live in, uh, she could only be in the district in Texas. Like she couldn't travel. Oh, God. So she had family during the holidays that would go gather and she was stuck in the small district. You get free and yet you still don't really have freedom. So anyways, these cases are in the book because there is a progression. All of these people mm -hmm. you just mentioned, reality winner, Edward Snowden, there's Daniel Hale, there's Terry Albury, an FBI whistleblower. These people who get prosecuted, they all lay down the groundwork for the Justice Department to now try and bring Julian Assange to trial. Wow. Uh, uh... Yeah, there are so many, you know, stories that we don't ever hear about. So thank you for covering this. And again, the corporate media did not. I mean, we heard, you know, Julian Assange became the boogeyman back when the collateral murder tape was released. I remember thinking he's a hero, I, I, you know, and then it's the way they frame the story. And, you know. Uh, so thank you for this. The book is yeah, guilty. So I know I need to go, but I, I want to make sure that you know before I leave that he's not being charged for the collateral murder video. No. And that should tell you, that should tell you something about the political nature of this case, because if all the other documents and everything he else re released, if those were criminal acts, then it was a criminal act to release the collateral murder video. But why is he not being charged? Because... I know from following the court martial and seeing the video played in a military courtroom that they don't want the collateral murder video to be played in a U.S. courtroom. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, there was somebody in the chat room because, again, that's going back. When was that released? In 2009 or 2007? It was. So the video is from 2007, but the video came out and we all saw it in April 2010. Oh, Okay. There you go. So uh, there was someone in the chat room, you know, I try to keep an eye on there. It's hard to do when you're talking, but who said, I've never seen this before. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, because nobody talks about it anymore. And again, it's still stuck in my head from when it was released. And, yeah. you know, uh, everyone should see it to know yeah, what yeah. we are capable of and what the people look, these guys. Yeah, it, it, to them, it felt like they were playing video game or something. Those were human beings, yeah. Reuters reporters, children. And, and they hid it. They yeah. hid it from the bureau chief of Iraq, Dean Yates, who has spoken out about this. He asked for that information, and they would not give him mm -hmm. information about what happened to his colleagues, people he was responsible for. And it fell on Chelsea Manning to expose it, and we're glad that she did. Yes, we are. And it, and we need people like that to keep exposing the wrongs that anyone does, whether it's the government or, you know, the... Could be a corporation. Exactly. <laughs> Starbucks. Hello. We talked about that today. <laughs> um, uh, Kevin Gostola, it was great meeting you. Thank you so much. Uh, honestly, I just got the book. I look forward to reading it because I, obviously uh, there's a lot I don't know. And I admit it, you know, that's why I just wanted to sort of pick your brain today and that we did. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for writing the book. I think it's really important. Yeah. Thanks for having me on your show. You got it. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, there we go. Kevin Gostola. Um, I'll put a link to the book. 
Sorry, we've got a little uh, uh, video feedback on it. Um, all right, with that, we're done. Tomorrow is Thursday. My, how time flies when we're having fun. Uh, Howie Klein will be here. We'll see what other wonderful things we can dig up. And um, what are you doing Friday? Oh, Cory Doctorow is coming back on Friday. Cory Doctorow has been on the show a few times. Always a fascinating conversation. He's the guy that I talked to about uh, about um, uh, copyright issues and and um, 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 not uh, um, oh God antitrust laws that we don't you know care about and everything. The deal with with uh, Corey now is he's one of those people who's always very productive. In addition to his nonfiction books, he writes fiction. And his latest fiction novel is out, and he he recorded the audiobook. But because he insists on releasing stuff on the internet and not adhering to the DRM digital whatever I, I forget what it stands for, but I'll have it for you by Friday. Um, the regulations on you know who owns your digital works, and he releases it without those the DRM stuff on it. Um, Audible, Audible, which is owned by Amazon, will not release his audiobook because they can't claim ownership of it. So he asked if I would, uh, you know, retweet his thing about how the audiobook is available, and um, but not through Audible. Uh, so anyway, I invited him back on the show, and he'll be here Friday. Okay, all right. With that, we're done. I will leave you with the news, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you as always for listening. And uh, keep the faith, baby. (laughs) Whatever that means. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler. What's news from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. So I again call on Congress to pass this all of us, man. Pass it. This should not be a partisan issue. This is a common sense issue. We have to act now. And people say, why do I keep saying this if it's not happening? Because I want you to know who isn't doing it, who isn't helping to put pressure on it. President Biden on Tuesday urged Congress to take action on gun safety after yet another mass shooting, this one leaving three children and three adults dead at the Covenant School, a private religious school in Nashville. The president later told reporters that, quote, I've gone the full extent of my executive authority to do on my own anything about guns. Congress has to act. So what about Congress? Well, Democrats have been ready to reinstate the assault weapons ban since it was sunsetted. The problem is on the other side of the aisle. Senator John Thune is the Senate Majority Whip, the Republicans' number two guy in the Senate. Of course, he gave the typical Republican response after yet another horrific mass shooting in America. I think with respect to any um, discussion of legislation, it's premature. Uh, There's an ongoing investigation, and I think we need to let the facts come out. Premature? This was the 130th mass shooting in a year that's only had 86 days so far. And over in the House, Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee came right out and said they'll do what they've been doing about the problem all along. Absolutely nothing. It's it's a horrible, horrible situation, and we're not going to fix it. Criminals are going to be criminals. And my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese. And he told me, he said, buddy, he said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it. Lovely. Meanwhile, the 28-year-old identified as the murderer, we've now learned, was under a doctor's care for an emotional disorder and had recently legally purchased seven guns.
including the three that were used in the shooting. Apparently, the shooter's parents felt that their adult child should not own weapons, but the shooter hid them in the house. The Nashville Police Department on Tuesday released body cam footage from the perspective of two officers, Rex Engelbert and Michael Colazzo. They led the charge into the school and they shot and killed the suspect on the second floor. One thing we can say is the Nashville Police Department deserves our thanks for their swift action, a true contrast from what we saw from the police that didn't respond to the shooter in Uvalde, Texas. If it were up to me, well, you know how the song goes. At least 40 people died and 29 were injured after a fire broke out at a migrant detention center in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, a major cross point for migrants across from El Paso, Texas. Mexican President Lopez Obrador said on Tuesday that those detained migrants started the blaze by setting their mattresses on fire in protest after hearing rumors they were going to be deported. Just awful. A conservative group led by Jenny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, according to The Washington Post, raised nearly $600,000 in anonymous donations to fight liberal causes. Seriously. In an arrangement known as a, quote, fiscal sponsorship, the group Crowdsourcers for Culture and Liberty collected the money through a conservative Washington think tank, hiding its activities from public view. This revelation could add pressure on the Supreme Court to adopt a code of ethics. And actually, this comes as very basic new ethics regulations will go into effect after years of pressure from members of Congress who say the judiciary should follow ethics guidelines closer to those that apply to the executive and legislative branches. According to these new regulations, Supreme Court justices and all federal judges must now provide a fuller public accounting of free trips, meals, and other gifts they accept from corporations or other organizations. And it clarifies that judges must report travel by private jet. Uh, I'm speechless. So let's move on. In Trump land, U.S. District Judge James Boesberg ruled Tuesday that former Vice President Mike Pence must testify to prosecutors investigating the former guy's attempts to reverse his 2020 loss to President Joe Biden. The judge said Pence can decline to answer questions about his role on January 6th as Senate president. Pence's lawyers had argued that the Constitution shielded him from testifying. Trump claimed his testimony was protected by executive privilege. It isn't few other quick items before we wrap up for today. In Florida, a six-week abortion ban is headed for a full Senate vote today. This law would make it one of the strictest abortion laws in the nation. Polio is back. Yeah. New York health officials detected the presence of the polio virus in the wastewater of Rockland County, where an outbreak last year led to the first confirmed case of paralytic polio in 10 years. This is what this anti-vax movement has spawned. Don't get vaccinated. Go live in a leper colony. And finally, in a long-awaited decision, the FDA approved the overdose antidote Narcan to be available without a prescription. It's about time. And that's just... This has happened every day this week. For some reason, What's News gets cut off Right at the end, my gremlins are being really weird and very cagey and not letting me figure out what the hell's going on. All right. Just weird. All right, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.